above every name. Amen. That name which one spoken one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Amen. You willing to confess that he's Lord tonight? Let's just bless him one more time. Amen. Hallelujah. I know we've been doing a lot of praying, but I don't believe we can pray too much. So we're going to go to the Lord one more time and ask that he anoint this word, that he anoint me to to speak and anoint you to receive. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are in this place tonight. I thank you, Father, that there's no doubt that your Holy Spirit has already come, Father God, already visiting with us. And I thank you, Father, that we have offered you praises that you have found acceptable. And I pray tonight, God, that you would continue to anoint myself, your servant. I pray, God, that you would anoint me to speak the words with clarity, without any confusion, without any distraction, Lord God. That you would help me to speak the truth of your word and the revelation that you have sown into the soil of my soul. And I pray that you would anoint your people as always, God. Give them ears to hear, hearts to listen, and then the courage to respond to those things that we hear. I pray, God, that tonight we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only. And God, that we would be willing to maybe even inconvenience ourselves, Father God, in order to be more like you. I pray that you would be glorified and honored in all that is done this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. How many of you know that we don't have to wait until the the 26th of this month or the week of revival in order to get right with God. Amen. I'm thankful that anytime we bend a knee, anytime we lift up our head to the Father, we can we can get things right with God. Amen. So if you're here this evening and you're bearing a burden and you haven't had the opportunity already to just get things right and just pour your heart out to God, I pray that you take the opportunity to do that this evening. Don't wait until the 26th because tomorrow might not come. Amen. We might might experience the coming of the Lord tonight. The clouds might roll back in the middle of my sermon and, a, and, and the trumpet might sound. So whenever you have an opportunity to get things right with God, you need to take advantage of that opportunity. Because Paul said what? He said, today is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. So that's my prayer, that tonight you take advantage of the opportunity uh, to draw near to God. And to come to him with a sincere heart when we have the opportunity to do so. It's been a couple of weeks. It seems, it seems like forever since I've been up here. I know I've been on vacation and the office was closed one week. But it's been a, a couple of weeks or so since we've looked at the parable of the prodigal son. And I want to pick up where we left off the last time I spoke. Because if anyone needed a revival, if anyone needed the restoration of his soul and needed to be restored to the Father, it was the prodigal son. Amen? So I don't think there's any better time to continue our series than during this time of preparation for revival. What I want to uh, look at, or what we've looked at so far, the last time we were together, was the distorted thought process, or the corrupted thought process, that caused the prodigal son to make one bad choice after the next. One wrong decision after the next that led him from a place of abundance to a place of lack, from a place of abundance to where we read that he he found himself with absolutely nothing. One wrong decision after the next because of a distorted thought process led him from a place of favor to a place of failure. It led him from a place of blessing to a place of curses. It led him from a place of prosperity to a place of we discovered poverty. Uh, One wrong choice after a next church led him from the house of his father 
to the pig pen of a stranger. And if we're not careful about our thought process and, and, and allowing the Lord to order our thought process, you're going to find yourself one day not in the house of the Father, but you're going to find yourself in the pig pen of a stranger wondering, how on earth did I get here? And this is what we have looked at so far, church. What we've discovered is that when our thought process, church, when our choices, when our decisions, when when our way of thinking is contrary to the word of God, when it is not founded on what thus saith the Lord, we're going to we like the prodigal son are going to find ourselves in a mess. We're going to find ourselves in a place of lack and in a place of spiritual poverty, just like the prodigal. When we yoke ourselves to this world, instead of yoking ourselves to the Word of God, when we yoke ourselves to the things of this world, instead of yoking ourselves to Jesus Christ, we're going to end up in a mess, just like the prodigal did. When we yoke ourselves to the wisdom of this world, instead of the wisdom of the Word of God, we're going to find ourselves in a place we won't like to be. So this is what we've looked at so far. One of the most important or one of the important lessons that we should learn and can learn from this parable that we always have to be mindful of is the fact that the son walked away from the father and not the father from the son. You see, the son is the one that made a choice to walk away from the household of faith. The, the, the son was the one that made a choice to walk away from blessings and walk away from favor, walk away from the goodness of the household that his father had, had welcomed him or that he was a part of. The son walked away from the father. It was his choice to make. He just made a bad choice. He made a bad decision. And we find out where that, that series of bad choices led him. You see, the reality is that there is a way, the Bible says. There is a road. There's a path. There's a lifestyle. There's a way of living. There's a thought process that seems right unto many but whose end leads to destruction. There's a thought process you could have thinking, boy, I'm doing everything right. Thinking, I'm, boy, I'm headed down the right path. Thinking I got it all together. Thinking I'm all that in a bag of chips. Thinking I'm everything. I'm doing everything I need. Thinking I have all that I need. There is a way that seems right unto many, the Bible says. But when you follow that path and you follow that thought process out, you're going to find yourself in a place of destruction and devastation, just like the prodigal son did. Why was it that Joshua said... Choose wisely this day whom you will serve. Choose wisely this day whom you will serve because every choice we make, every decision we make will either lead us to a blessing or it will lead us to a curse. Every decision we make will lead us to the Father or away from the Father. Every choice we make will lead us to favor or will lead us to failure. It will lead us to blessings or lead us to curses. It will lead us to prosperity or it will lead us to poverty. Yes, I know that there's sometimes, even when you're doing everything you need to do for God, and you're praying like you need to, fasting like you need to, worshiping like you need to, I know there's times in our Christian life where you're going to come upon difficulty, where you're going to come upon hard times, when you're going to face trials and tribulations. But I want you to understand that when you make the right choice in the midst of it, God's going to be there with you. Amen? You see, it's the same reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were faced with the choice of whether they were going to bow to, to the king or whether they were going to stand up to the king of kings, they made the right choice. And when the, when the, 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 the madman king decided to throw them into a fiery furnace, guess who showed up with them? God did. Because when you make the right choice, when you make the right decision, when you stand up for God and your thought process is, 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 is a 
according to the word of God. No matter what the devil tries to do to you, God's going to stand with you. God's going to show up in the fire and God's going to show up in the flood. So the only one you got to worry about is pleasing the Lord. The only one you got to worry about is is pleasing the father. And this is what you and I need to understand that we must choose wisely this day. And you need to remember, I've told you so many times, don't just breeze over the word of God. Read and understand and study what it says. Joshua said, choose this day. And we've got to say that every day. Don't don't just choose today. Oh, I'm going to follow God today and we'll see what happens tomorrow. Or we'll see what happens next week. We'll see we'll see how God responds and, and then I'll decide if I'm going to follow him again. Choose him day after day after day. Choose wisely this day. I've told you before, the only way you can make a wise choice is to have the wisdom of God part of your life. The only way you're going to make a wise choice and avoid making foolish decisions is to have your mind set on things above where God is seated, where Christ is seated. It's to have your mind set on things where they should be set, church. You see, what I want you to remember when we begin to talk about choices that have to be made and and the consequences of those choices, I want you to remember that after Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the second set of tablets, you remember the whole story, I don't need to go through it, but when he came down with the first set of tablets, when he came down with the first set of Ten Commandments, when he first came down with the word of the Lord, what did he find? He found the children of Israel dancing around the golden calf. And he got mad and he threw the, he threw the tablets to the ground in disgust. So he went back up to the mountain for another 40 days of fasting and, and standing before the Lord seeking his face. And God wrote a second set of tablets. And, and the Bible tells us that when he came down with a second set of tablets, this is what he did. He took the children of Israel out into the plains of Moab and he pointed across the Jordan River into the land of promise that they would one day possess. And there were two mountains on the other side of the Jordan. And he said to the children of Israel, behold, I want you to see something today. I place before you a blessing and a curse. One mountain was a mountain of blessing. One mountain was a mountain of curses. Mount Gerizim was a mountain of blessing. Mount Ebal was the mountain of curses. And he said to them, one day when we cross over the Jordan, half of you are going to go up Mount Gerizim and you're going to pronounce the blessings of God according to those who live for God. And then the other half, we're going to climb up Mount Ebal and have to profess or pronounce the curses that would come upon those who did not walk in the ways of the Lord. But here's what you need to understand. Today, I'm setting before you a blessing, a curse, he said, a blessing if you listen to these commands and walk in the way of the Lord and a curse if you do not listen, but turn aside and follow after other gods. You see, again, it's our choice to live under a blessing. And it's our choice to live under a curse. God doesn't force us to follow. God doesn't force us to obey. God doesn't force us to worship or read the word. He gives us a choice. He doesn't force himself upon us. He gives us the choice of what mountain we want to live on. He gives us the choice of what path we want to take. He gives us the choice of what world we want to live in, what God we're going to serve. He gives us that choice. And and the reality is... The consequences of those choices will differ. So he says, you need to understand that today I place before you a a blessing or a curse. God, in this occasion, was giving them a choice, church. Understand, the other thing that I want you to understand was that both of these mountains, and I don't want to get too teachy, but both of these mountains were in the promised land. 
Both mountains, the mountain of blessing and the mountain of curse, were both of them were in the promised land. Just like in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life and a tree of good and evil. There was a tree that brought life, there was a tree that brought blessing, and there was a tree that brought curses if you ate upon it. We find out we're suffering from that curse because Adam and Eve decided they were going to partake of the tree of good and evil. They thought they knew better than God. They thought that they would just take a... See, what I want you to understand is that even in the Garden of Eden, even in the perfect setting that God created, there was a choice. There was a choice of what tree they would eat from. They made a bad choice. They made a bad decision. In the, gar, in the, in the Promised Land, there was the same choice. It represented, these mountains represented the freedom of choice God was giving us. And the reality is we can either live under God's blessings... Or we can live under God's curses. It's no, it's no mystery as to how we shall receive blessings. It's no mystery any longer as to how we will receive curses. If you do what I say, if you walk in my ways, if you consecrate yourself to me, if you love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to experience blessings in your life. If you make this the foundation of your life, if you walk according to my word, according to my statutes... If you, if you seek my face, these are the ways that we experience blessings. But if you decide to go it on your own, if you decide to lean on your own understanding, we've learned along the way. If you've decided that, that you know better than God, you're wiser than God, more powerful than God, stronger than God, then you're going to experience curses. If you live according to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, guess what? Curses come into your life. It's your choice to follow God or your choice to walk away. It's my choice to obey God or it's my choice to disobey. Listen, one of the things that I also want you to understand is the prodigal son came from a household of faith. The prodigal son came from a household of prosperity. The the prodigal son came from a Christian household. The father was a godly man. The father was, the father served the Lord. The father had a great reputation in the, in the city. But the prodigal son, the youngest son, chose to climb the wrong mountain. He chose to climb Mount Ebal, and curses came into his life because of it. What, what reason I'm saying that is just because your mom and dad are saved. Just because your mom and dad are receiving blessings in your life doesn't mean you're going to. Just because your saved husband or your saved wife is receiving God's blessings in their life doesn't mean you're going to if you're not walking with God. Just because you have a heritage of of family members that served the Lord and walked according to his statutes doesn't mean you are going to be blessed if you're walking in the ways of the world. Each and every one of us have our own choice. It's why God said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't count on mommy and daddy. Don't count on your brothers and sisters. Don't count on your friends. you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because when you stand before the Lord, you will have to give account for your life, not anyone else's. So we've got to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. When we take this into consideration, as I was studying this, it amazes me how often we, when we walk in our own ways uh, and then wonder why things aren't working out the way we hoped they would. It amazes me how often we walk in our own ways and then wonder why we find ourselves in such a mess like the prodigal did. How we completely disregard the word of God and then wonder why blessings aren't coming our way. Why everything seems to be difficult. Why there doesn't seem to be any joy in our life. Why, why blessings aren't coming away and nothing seems to be working out. 
It amazes me, church, how often when we choose to climb Mount Ebal, it amazes me how when we choose to climb the mountain of self-sufficiency or the the mountain of self-indulgence or the the mountain of self-gratification or the the mountain of uh, self-reliance or self-centeredness, how when we decide to climb the mountain of pleasure or we decide to climb the mountain of pride or we decide to climb the mountain of popularity or prestige, it's then, after we've decided to climb that mountain, we look over to Mount Gerizim and we wonder why we're not experiencing the blessings those people have. I've been there in my own life, climbing the wrong mountain, and I look over on the other mountain and I wonder, why are they being blessed and I'm not? Why are things going good for them and why not for me? How come they got God doing wonderful things in their life uh, and, and not for me? And all I got to do is look down and, and, and see what mountain I'm standing on. See what road I'm walking on. See what path I'm trying to follow. See who I've yoked myself to and who I've yielded myself to. You see, if you want to experience blessings, you've got to climb the mountain of Gerizim. mountain of Gerizim was the mountain of obedience. It was the mountain of humility. It's the mountain of sacrifice. And a lot of us don't want to make that climb. We want to take the easy road. We want the easy way out. We want to do what's right in our own eyes and then expect that the the winds will blow the blessings from that other mountain somehow into our life. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, you might have some good things come into your life, but at the end of your road, you're going to find destruction. You've got to be careful what mountain you climb. You've got to be careful what road you follow. You've got to be careful what God you serve and what choices you make. So often we forget that we all have choices to make, church, just like the prodigal son did. And all throughout this series so far in the prodigal son, we've looked at the wrong choices that the prodigal son made. We've looked at all the wrong decisions that have led him to this place of, of personal pain and, and spiritual poverty in his life. And where we left off a few weeks ago was when the prodigal son finally came to his senses, when he finally made a right choice, where his thoughts were finally renewed, where he was transformed, I would say, by the renewing of his mind. And all of these wrong thoughts and distorted and perverted thoughts that, that caused him uh, until this point to think he... Think he was okay, think everything was going right, but something happened in his mind and he was transformed by the renewing of his mind. That's where we left off a few weeks ago, where he returned to his right thinking and he said this in verse 18 and 19. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Make me like a servant, he said. The most amazing thing, church, about what this prodigal son, uh, uh, about this story to me, is not just what he said while he was in the pig pen. It's what he did. Because so often, church, we make God empty promises. So often we think it suffices to paint God some pretty word pictures. We, we paint pretty word pictures to God. Oh, well, I'll do this and I'll do that. We, we, we. Don't like to admit it, but there's times, church, we lie to God. I'll do this and I'll do that. God, God, if you do this, I'll do that. God, God, I'll, I'll do this if you do that. And so often we lie to God. We don't do the things that we say. So often with our lips, like Judas, we show much love while our hearts are far from him. So often we say, I love you, but we got no intention of following him. So often we, we, we lavish upon the Lord nice, beautiful words. But our heart is nowhere close to that. So often, church, we, we try to appease God by making a, uh, a, a verbal gesture. 
without any willingness to walk it out. We make God all these fancy promises when we know deep down in the bottom of our soul, I'm not going to do what I just said. God said it's better to better not to make an oath. It's better not to make a promise than to make one and not fulfill it. So don't be making God any empty promises. Don't be telling God I'll go to every area of the earth. Don't tell God I'll serve you. Don't tell God I'll worship you. Don't tell God I'll do anything you want me to do. Just like that, that stranger that came up from the crowd. Remember that stranger in the crowd when Jesus was walking and teaching and he said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus knew what Jesus knew the emptiness of his heart. He said the birds have, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And what happened to this, this bold proclamation? Woo, he disappeared right into the crowd. Don't make promises you can't fulfill. Don't make promises you can't keep. It's better not to make any promise. It's better, listen, it's better to be cold than to be lukewarm. It's better to make no promise at all than to make a promise and not fulfill it. God said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but not in between, because I can't use you. Because the lukewarm individual, like this prodigal son, when he was walking in his own ways, thought everything was okay, thought everything was right, didn't think he was doing anything wrong. Until God had to grab a hold of his heart, grabbed a hold and transformed his mind. And all of a sudden, his thinking changed. And when his thinking changed, his words changed. I have sinned, he said. So often we offer God our future. Listen to me, church. So often we offer God our future in order to get out of a jam today. I, I, I don't know how many of you have ever been there, but so often... Far too often, we offer God our future if he'll just intervene today. God, I'll do this tomorrow. God, God, I'll go back to church. God, I'll get back into ministry. God, I'll start singing in the choir. I'll start giving. I'll start serving. God, I'll start reading my Bible again. I'll start fasting again. God, I'll start doing all the things you tell me to do. I'll start them all tomorrow, God. If you just intervene today, if you just, if you just get me out of this jam today, if you keep me from going to jail today, if you keep me from getting kicked out of the house today, if you just help me get my bills paid today, God, I'll do it tomorrow if you help me today. And then tomorrow comes and then the sun rises once again. And our promises go unfulfilled and we continue to walk in our own ways, not fulfilling the promises that we made. And how often we do that, church. Tomorrow comes. We continue in our own ways. Listen, we need to understand and what Jesus is trying to teach in so many of these parables that I've taught you. And in this one, too, that words are cheap. Words don't cost much, church. As I was doing this series, I realized that I could go buy an unabridged CD dictionary that contains every single word in the English language for under a hundred bucks. Thousands and thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of words for under a hundred bucks. I realized that I could go buy a best-selling novel that contains 70 to 80,000 words for under $20. The reality is, church, you can go buy the Word of God. You can go buy the holy, unadulterated word of God for about ten bucks. 
for as little as 10 bucks. Yeah, you can get a nice leather bound, fancy Bible for about a hundred dollars. But the reality is you can go buy the word of God for about 10 bucks. Why? Because words are cheap. And I'm not saying that the word of God is cheap, but listen to me. It's going to cost you something to follow the word you read. It's going to cost you something to, to obey the word. It's going to cost, it don't cost you hardly anything to read it, but it's going to cost you something to obey it. It's going to cost you something to follow it. It's going to cost you something to dedicate yourself to it. And it's going to cost you something to experience the blessings it says it contains for you. I'm not charging you anything to listen to my sermon tonight, but it's going to cost you something to put the words into action. I'm not taking up any entrance fee for you to come in and listen to me preach, but when you walk out this door for it to be effective in your life, it's going to cost you something. And this is what God is trying to teach us, that words are cheap, that empty promises don't mean anything to God. It's not what you say, it's what you do. It's not what this prodigal son said when he was, when he was wallowing in the pig pen, it's what he did. This is what's the most amazing part of this story of the prodigal son. It's not just about what he said while he was in the pig pen, it's about what he did. This is what we need to understand what the prodigal son did. He started with getting up. He started with getting up. Look at verse 20. It says, after he had, after, after he, in verse 18 and 19, which we just read, after his thought process turned around, after he realized the error of his ways, after, after his mind was transformed and he called himself a sinner and, 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 confessed that he would be willing to make himself nothing when he went back to the father. He didn't just sit there. He didn't just sit there and wait for daddy to come. He didn't sit there and wait for a phone call. He didn't sit there and wait for a postcard that says we missed you. He didn't sit there waiting for the the men's ministry to come knocking on his door or for the pastor to walk on by. The Bible says he got up. He got up. He made a change in his life. He was tired of the situation that he found himself in. And he got up out of the slop. And he got up out of the mess. This is where it starts with you and me. You can confess all you want. You can complain all you want. But until you get up, your life is going to be the same. Until you get up, you're going to wallow with the pigs. Until you get up, you're going to be in a place of spiritual poverty. There comes a point in time, church, the reality is revival and restoration come when you and I are willing to get up. When you and I are willing to make a change in our life. Listen to me, church. Empty promises don't move God. When you move, God will move. When you move, God will move. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that God gave us a choice and we need to make a decision whether we're going to come to God or not. Revival didn't come to the Ninevites until Jonah got up. Till Jonah confessed the same way while he was laying in the belly of the whale. When he was sitting there, he got spit out, he got up. The Bible says he too, he got up and he went to Nineveh and revival came. If you want revival in your life, you've got to get up. You've got to get up out of the mess that you're in. You've got to be willing to turn your back on it. You've got to be willing to talk, walk to the Father. 
You've got to be willing to put your money where your mouth is and do what you say you're going to do. You see, there's a whole lot of us. I've been there, church. I've made God a whole lot of promises. Sounded real good. Sing a lot of songs to the Father that express a whole lot of gratitude, express a whole lot of promises, even in the songs that I sing. But I never got up. I never changed my lifestyle. I never changed anything about my life. Just sat there thinking it was enough to confess. And it's not. We've got to do something. We've got to get up. I told you before, he didn't wait for a phone call. There's so many individuals that are not in the house of God. They're sitting at home waiting for a phone call. They're sitting at home waiting for someone to say we missed you. They're sitting at home waiting for someone to send that postcard or someone to, to, to pass on by. And the, the more days that go by that no one did, the more they get stuck in their, their mess. Because sometimes we've got to pick ourselves up, church. Sometimes we've got to stop waiting on someone else and we've got to pick ourselves up. Sometimes we've got to say like David did. Why are you so troubled inside? Sometimes we've got to speak to our own soul. Listen, when there's no one around to speak to your soul, when there's no one else around to encourage you, when the pastor doesn't call and the postcard doesn't come, sometimes you've got to speak to your very own soul and say, why are you so down? Why are you so discouraged inside of me? Sometimes we've got to stir ourselves up, church. We've got to pick ourselves up because sometimes... Other people won't. This, this prodigal son could have had a pity party in the pig pen. He could have. Maybe he was for some period of time. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But he could have had a pity party in the pig pen and died in his sin. But he didn't. He got up. And, and we're going to learn this next week. He went to the Father because good intentions won't get you to heaven. Good intentions won't change your situation or change your circumstance. It only happens when you're willing to get up. You have to make the, the choice today like the prodigal son did. Today, I'm going to get up. Today, I'm going to make a change. Today, I'm going to turn my back on this way of living and I'm going to walk on to the Father. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. We need to understand that there's a lot of people in hell today because their tomorrow never came. Because they had a lot of good intentions. They had made God a whole lot of promises. Uh, maybe when I graduate. Maybe when I get married. Maybe when I finally get this position. Maybe when I... Maybe, 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 maybe. When this finally happens, then I'll serve God with all of my heart. And their tomorrow never came. And the reality is, we're not promised tomorrow. So like we said in the beginning of this sermon, you've got to take advantage of every opportunity that we have. And some of you need to pick yourselves up. Listen, the prodigal son's life didn't change after his confession. It changed after he got up. His, his life changed after he was willing to walk out his words and when he was willing to come to the father on his own. No one carried him. No one coaxed him. In the middle of his mess, he realized the only way my life is going to change is if I get up and go to my father. And this is what God encourages and calls us all to do. His story changed when he got up and, and said, Satan, you've had me down long enough. That's when some people's situation will change, when they get tired of the mess, when they get tired of the pig pen, when they get tired of the smell, when they get tired of the slop, when they get tired of the loneliness, when they get tired of the situation. Somewhere along the way, we've got to be willing to get up and say, Satan, you've had me down long enough. When he got up and said, so long to the pigs, I'm headed for the father. His story changed when he was willing to turn his back on sin, like he said, and set his face to the father. 
Because this is what true repentance is. It's walking away from the world and walking towards God. You see, it's not enough to just stop doing certain things. David said, blessed is the man that does what? Blessed is the man that doesn't walk, doesn't stand, and doesn't sit in the way of the ungodly, in the way of the unrighteous, in in, in the midst of scoffers and sinners, but whose delight is in the Lord. You see, it's not enough to just not hang out with certain people. It's not enough to just not go to certain places. There's other things you've got to do as well. It's not just turning away from the world. It's turning towards God as well. It's getting yourself in prayer. It's getting yourself in the Bible. It's coming to church. It's fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is, this is what true repentance is, turning your back on the world and setting your face to the Father. This is what I want you to see. These are the steps to restoration. These are the requirements in the last few minutes that I'm using for a personal revival of your soul. The first thing that the son had to do to find restoration was confess his sin. The very first thing he had to do, he confessed his sin. He made no excuses. I think we talked about this a little a few weeks ago. There was no blaming. There was no watering down of what he did. Like I said, the last time we were together, he confessed his sin, not his mistakes. He confessed his sin, not some character flaw. He confessed his sin, not some, some, uh, some, uh, some, uh, problem that he, that he felt like that he had. He confessed his sin, not his failure. He realized the error of his way and he called it sin, church. And this is, this is the first step to restoration. This is the first step to revival in our life. It is to recognize our sin. Because you need to understand until we recognize our sin, we won't recognize our need for a savior. Until we recognize our sin, we won't recognize our need for forgiveness. Until we recognize the filthiness of our sin, we won't recognize the need for the precious blood of Jesus Christ upon our lives. You see, I can correct a mistake. I can fix a fault. I can adjust a character flaw in my life, but who can wash away my sin? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, there's a whole lot of things, and this is the mentality that the world has. If I got, if I got this character flaw, all I gotta do is read a self-help book. All I gotta do is do this. All I gotta do is, is watch Oprah or listen to Dr. Phil. All I gotta do is call it into someone and see how I can change this situation in my life. You see, you can, you can correct a mistake. You can fix a fault. You can adjust a character flaw in your life, but you can do nothing to wash away your sin. You can do nothing. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that we we need. This is why this is the key to revival. It's key to restoration is the confession of our sin. Because until we confess our sin, we have no need for a Savior. We have no need to repent. We have no need to, to get things right with God. That was the first thing that he did. The second church was he consecrated himself. In, in the middle of his pig pen, in the middle of his slop, In the middle of his mess, he consecrated himself. And this is what I mean by it. He separated himself in this moment in his life. He separated himself from his pride. He separated 
himself from his will. He separated himself from his ways and he separated himself from the foreigner that he was yoked to. If you remember, when he left the father, he went to a strange land and he yoked himself to a foreigner. He yoked himself to someone who wasn't a Christian. He yoked himself to someone who had strange gods, who didn't serve the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so he confessed his sin and then he consecrated himself back to the father. And the only way that you can consecrate yourself to God is by separating yourself from everything else. You gotta separate yourself from your pride. You gotta separate yourself from your will and from your wisdom and from your ways. You gotta separate yourself from all the things you've yoked yourself to that grieve the Holy Spirit, that keep you from a right relationship with God. And it's exactly what the prodigal son did. He consecrated himself and separated himself from the foreigner. You see, far too often, we think that we can yoke ourselves to the world and experience the blessings of God. It doesn't work. We, we, we feel like we can, we can walk with the world and experience the goodness and the blessings of God in our life. We can't do that, church. What he had to do was come out from among them and be separate. What he had to do was leave behind everything that he had yoked himself to, turn his back on it, set his face to the Father, and go home. And see, this is what you need to understand. Don't put on the music yet. But before the son ever attempted to go to the Father, he consecrated himself to the Father. And I hope you get what I'm, what I'm saying. If he would not have consecrated himself before he went to the Father, I don't believe he would have ever made it to the Father. If in that pig pen he did not separate himself and consecrate himself to God, if at that moment he did not make a heartfelt decision to go back home and get things right, he would have never made it back to the Father. Why do I say that? I say it because even Jesus Christ himself had to go to the garden before he went to the cross. Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, had to bend the knee in the garden of Gethsemane. He had to, he had to sweat great drops of blood. That's what his, his sweat was like. It was like great drops of blood. And he had to surrender himself to the Father. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. And my belief is this. If he would have not surrendered himself in the garden, he would have never stayed on the cross. If he would not have shed his blood in the garden, he would not have shed his blood on the cross. And if this, this prodigal son had not consecrated himself before he ever took the first step, something would have led him astray. Something would have called him back. Something would have gotten in the way. Something would have distracted him. Something would have overcome him. But I want you to understand that when you and I, go ahead and put on the music, when you and I truly consecrate ourselves to the Father, nothing's going to keep us from Him. When you and I truly consecrate and give ourselves to the Father, nothing's going to get in the way. Yeah, you might have some difficult times. Yeah, you might have some trials and tribulations. But like I said before, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego consecrated themselves to God. And even a fiery furnace couldn't keep them from serving the Father. You want to serve the Father wholeheartedly, you got to consecrate yourself. You want to serve the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you got to first consecrate yourself. you got to realize what's standing in the way and separate yourself from those things. Why do you think Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt when she left Sodom and Gomorrah church? It was because she never consecrated herself before she left the city. 
You may not understand what I'm saying, but she never, she never separated her affections from the city. There was something about that city that caused her to look back. God said, when you leave, don't look back. God said, when you come out of this world, take your whole heart with you. When you come out of the pig pen, don't leave anything behind. Don't leave any affections behind or any desires behind. When you come out, you got to make yourself separate. you got to take everything that you have so you can give everything back to me. You see, this is what the devil wants to do. He wants a little bit of your affection here and a little bit of your affection there. He wants a little bit of your integrity here and a little bit of your, uh, your purity there. He wants a little bit of your honesty here. So that when you finally make your way to God, you can't give him everything that you have because you've given it all away to someone else. And see, this is what God is saying. When you come out from the world, make sure you get everything back first. Make sure you go to the devil and say, you took this and you you took that and you took this. And I'm taking it back in the name of Jesus. Because I'm not going to go to my father and present him something that didn't cost me something. This is where we need to do. You see, so often we come back to God empty-handed. So often we come crying out to God with a cheap little sacrifice. When you and I, listen, yeah, the devil's going to come after you. You and I, a lot of us have been through hell and the devil's taken a lot of things from us. But you have been given the right and the authority to be transformed. And to say, look, God, I, I'm going back to my father, but there's, there's a couple things I gotta do first. I gotta consecrate myself first. I gotta take back some integrity and I, I gotta bring back some lies that I told. I gotta, I gotta fix this and I, and I gotta fix that. You see, this is the reality. There are some things we must do on our own church. This is why Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Because there was something more important in the city than the word God had spoken to him, her. I hope you're getting that. When God speaks to you on a Sunday, when God speaks to you on a Wednesday, when God speaks to you when you're driving down the road and he, he sends a word from the Holy Spirit, when you're listening to the radio at night, when you're, when you're setting yourselves before the Lord, receiving the word of God, you cannot let anything in this city be more important than what God is speaking to you. You want to know why so many people end up back in the pig pen? You want to know why so many people end up back in the, the road of ruin? You want to, want, want to know why so many people end up back out there in the world? Because they have not fully consecrated themselves to God. Because there's something in the city that's of more value than what God just spoke to them. This is what you and I got to realize every day we walk out of this. Every, every day you walk out of the house of God, there can be nothing more important than what God just spoke to you. Nothing more important than what God just spoke to you. If you want blessings in your life, when you walk out that door, you, 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 can't, be, you can't be having part of your heart over here and part of your heart over there. You got to give it all to God. This is the most difficult part of, of, of this parable. It is the getting up and the, and the leaving these things behind. It's the consecration. But these are the very things, church, that we have to realize. She was turned to salt because she never emptied herself before she got up from the city. 
She never emptied herself. There was a part of her that she just was not willing to to let go of. There was something she wasn't willing to sacrifice. And the reality is, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, poured himself out. He emptied himself. He had every right to to turn the, to have a, I call it a Roman shish kebab right there. When he was being nailed, he, he, could have, he could have turned every one of those Roman soldiers, you know as well as I do, into crispy critters. But he didn't. He poured himself out and he emptied himself. And we've got to do the very same thing. In order to be reunited with the Father, in order to experience personal revival in our soul, we must be willing to empty ourselves, church. Because the reality is, you can't play with the pigs and live in the palace at the same time. You can't walk on the path of unrighteousness and the path of righteousness at the same time. You can't climb up Mount Ebal and dwell on Mount Gerizim at the same time. You can't do that. You must make a decision today who you will serve, what road you will follow, and which God will be your God. The prodigal son emptied himself of everything, and he said, when I see my father... I'll make myself a servant. And here's where I'm going to bring this to a close. He made himself nothing. And when you read on, he didn't try to negotiate. And he didn't try to uh, count equality with his father, even his older brother, something to be grasped. He didn't look for a position of power, position of prestige. He didn't look to be equal to anyone there. He said, "I'll, I'll be a servant. I'll empty myself, I'll I'll completely empty myself, and I'll make myself a servant. The truth is, it's not enough to confess to the king. We've got to be willing to serve him and consecrate ourselves to him as a servant as well. And all I'm wondering tonight, church, is how many of us are willing, like this prodigal, to get up and consecrate ourselves to the Father I said it before, it's the hardest part. You know, I've been there in my own Christian life, and I don't even know how I'm going to close this yet. But I know there's so many times in my Christian life, younger on, when I'm sitting in the, in the, in the service, and, and I know the Holy Spirit is calling. And what is the hardest thing to do? The hardest thing to do is just get up. The hardest thing to do is just to get up in front of anybody and, say, and confess, Hey, I need God. I need a change in my life. I'm tired of hanging out with the pigs. I'm tired of having absolutely nothing in my life. I'm tired of this spiritual poverty. The hardest thing to do, at least for me, was to just get up and respond to the word of the Lord. So all I'm asking you tonight, if you find yourself here tonight and you're willing to say, God, if you're willing to say, God, I I, I need to consecrate myself to you tonight. I need to empty myself. I need to offer everything that I have. Maybe maybe there's one little thing that you have not yet been willing to give to the Lord. But tonight you're saying, God, I'm giving it all. Tonight, God, I'm just giving everything that I have. Everything that I am, everything that I'm giving you, all of my, my sins, I just need you to wash me clean. But if you're here tonight and you're saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm willing to consecrate myself to you. I'm willing tonight to, to leave some things behind. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's something little. Maybe it's something huge. But if you're here tonight and you're saying, God, in order for me to experience the revival that we're preparing for and praying for, I know I've got to consecrate myself. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet because we're going to pray. And all you're doing as you stand to your feet is, God, I'm giving you everything that I have. You see, you could be serving the Lord for 15 years, 50 years, and there still be something that you've got to give to God. Amen? 
And so tonight, this is what I'm asking. As I pray, whatever it is, you got to consecrate yourself. I can't consecrate you. I can't pray your prayer. I can pray with you. I can encourage you. But tonight, we're going to confess our sins and we're going to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And as the music plays, I, I will dismiss, but I just want to take a couple minutes or so for us to have an opportunity to make things right. Father God, we just thank you for this evening. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, we don't have to wait for any period of time to get things right with you. And tonight, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have reminded us, God, that the way to experience revival, the way to experience personal restoration of our soul and restoration uh, in our relationship with you is to confess our sins, to admit, Father God, that we have sin in our life, not, not mistakes, not faults, not failures, not character flaws, but we have some sin in our life, God. And there's nothing that can wash away that sin except the blood of Jesus Christ. So we plead the blood of Jesus Christ upon our lives this evening. God, we confess our pride and we confess our faults. We confess, we confess the fact that maybe we've made a bunch of empty promises, God. Maybe we've, we've left things unfulfilled in our life. Maybe we've lied. Maybe we've cheated. Maybe we've done something that has grieved you, God. And tonight we confess it. And we ask that you would forgive us, God, of our sins. That you would search us, oh God, like David said. That you would know everything about us. And if there be any wicked way within us, God, cleanse us of every sin and set us free. And I pray, God, that once we do that, that we would be willing tonight, God, to consecrate ourselves to you. And not just give ourselves, but give ourselves as servants, God, willing to do whatever it is you bid us to do. I pray, God, that you would give us the courage tonight, God, to walk away from those things we need to walk away from. God, that we would turn our back on the ways of the world. God, that we would, that we would lay aside all of those weights that so easily beset us. Those things that keep us from running. Those things that keep us from praying. Those things that keep us from reading the Word of God. Those things that keep us from the house of God. Those things that keep us from our spiritual disciplines. The things, God, that the Word says so easily trip us up. So easily slow us down. So easily cause us to stumble and fall and find ourselves in the pig pen. God, I pray that you would help us to separate ourselves from those things and set our face to you. God, I pray that you would give, give us the courage to get up when we need to get up. God, whenever it is you call us to move, we would move. Whenever you call us to, to do something, we would do it. Whenever you call us to change, that we would change. Whenever you call us to sacrifice, we would sacrifice. Whenever you call us to obey, we would obey. Whenever you call us to serve, we would serve. God, I pray that you would make us useful stewards for the kingdom of God. Forgive us of our sins. We consecrate ourselves to you this evening, Father God, so that we be ready for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord, church? Amen. Amen. I'm going to finish this, I'm going to finish this particular series next week because it's about, all about the coming home and the grace and the mercy of the Father. And I pray that you experience that this week. If you want to read ahead, go ahead. But that's what we're going to cover next week. If you need a special prayer, be happy to pray with you. Otherwise, be blessed and walk in the ways of the Lord. Amen.